Good morning again, church family. Uh, before we begin the sermon and the lesson this morning, if I can, I'd like to pray. We have a tradition here. Uh, if you're new to us, where we, we pray for the kingdom at large here every Sunday before we begin. It's an opportunity uh, for us to pray for another congregation who claims Jesus as Lord. So let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, your vastness. We thank you for how large your kingdom is. We thank you that you are doing work, uh, that you are making things happen, that your Holy Spirit is active, uh, that your kingdom marches on in so many ways beyond what we are even able to see. Lord, we are grateful that you work through uh, so many people who call you Lord, and we're grateful that we get to call uh, people who bow their knee to you our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we want more than anything for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done. And we're thankful for the partners that we have in that. In particular, Lord, we ask that you would bless Trinity Baptist Church this morning and their pastor, John Wheat, uh, that their time together would be one where they are laying their burdens down as they worship you. They're drawing closer to you, stronger. They're uh, filled with your message and with your Holy Spirit and that they go out from their worship this morning and they tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that for us as well. We ask that you change us, that you transform us. We ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. And more than anything, Lord, we all want uh, to be able to work together to transform this city in such a way where people will know that surely these people are worshipers of the one true God. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, Amen. Well, so we are uh, in the book of John. If you're uh, visiting with us today or you haven't been here, we've been going through the book of John for a while. And I know lately I've been hopping around a little bit. There's a few stories that I wanted to get. We got into John 8. We're going to go backwards a little bit. I'll tell you we're going to be in John 6 today um, because we're going to start kind of a little series inside the series. So uh, we're going to be doing the I am statements. And if you don't know, one of the things that is unique about the gospel of John is that he makes sure to record these seven different times where Jesus said, I am, and then fills in the blank there. It's really important, and it's beautiful language, and it's really valuable for us to take a look at those. So for the next six weeks, what we're going to do is take a look at the I am statements. We're going to leave off the uh, I am the true vine. We did that one before, so we'll, we'll give you some ways to look at that. But we are going to be spending the next few weeks on this. It, it fits right in to the theme that we've had with John and the way that, God, uh, the way that, that John wrote this, the way he was inspired to write his book. It's all about him taking something physical and talking about how Jesus turned it into something spiritual. Just constantly, time after time. And we've seen this as we go, and I know you hear me talk about that a lot. I'm going to keep talking about it because I think it's a vital part of what John was writing for us and that Jesus wanted us to understand. Jesus constantly takes something physical and he turns it into something spiritual. And that's what he does with these statements. I am this. And it's usually something very physical. It's bread. It's a door, right? It's a gate. It's all of these. It's light. But then he takes that and he goes, I want you to learn a spiritual lesson from this, though. And so these are very valuable phrases for us to go through. And I think we're really going to uh, be able to learn a lot as we go through this over the next few weeks. It, it, a deep relationship. This is one of the things that I love about the I am statements. The deeper the relationship and the deeper the love, the more words it seems to take to describe it. You know what I mean by that? Like, for instance, when you're a little child... And you have your mom since it's Mother's Day. That's what we'll talk about, right? And if you were to ask a three-year-old and go, so what is her role? She'd go, well, she's just mommy. 
She's just mommy. That's all it is. She's just mommy. And there's great trust in that, and there's great faith in that, and that's a beautiful thing. But if you have a really good mom like I did, and as you start to grow up, one of the things that happens is you start learning that there's more than, than uh, you can ever express just in that word of what that is. You start learning that she's comforter too, right? You start learning that she's uh, someone who's a protector. And as you get older, you start learning that she's also somebody who's a guide. She's also somebody who becomes an advisor and a confidant. And as you get older, becomes a friend. And then you start to see her even in another way and go, and my sister in Christ. And you have all of these different ways that you can sum up what our relationship is. And the deeper the love the more it takes to be able to describe what your relationship is. I'm thankful that I have that, and hopefully by uh, uh, complimenting my mom like that, that gets me lunch today. So, um, but, but I do want you to understand that that is a real truth, and I think you understand it. It's the same thing in a marriage, right? The more you are together, the longer you're together, and especially the deeper the love, the more you desire the other person to understand how much I love you and in the ways I love you. And as a parent, you really start to learn that. I want my kids to understand that I'm more than just the person who gives them food, right? I'm more than just the person who provides a house. I, I want them to know how loved they are. And for them to come to grips with that as they know, because it deeply, it's deeply needed for people to understand how they're loved. And we want that for them. And this is what Jesus is doing. Is he says, I want you to understand how deeply I love you. And so I'm going to use all these different words. I want you to understand. I'm like bread. I'm like life. I'm the resurrection. I'm the way. I'm the truth. All of these words to make sure that you get, this is how you're loved by your Jesus. And so we start today with bread. And if it can, I'm going to call up uh, Mr. Will, who's going to read for us, and he will have our scripture for today about the bread of life. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, before the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe him? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who has come down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not perish, and whoever believes in me shall, not, shall never thirst. Thank you, sir. Amen. All right. Well, th this one's about bread, and as you can see, it uses the word bread and food over and over. This is a dangerous sermon for a preacher to be doing right before lunch, and especially on Mother's Day, because I know you all have plans. You're going to go out, and you're going to hit that, and that food, and you're going to hit those restaurants, and uh, the roast that's in the pot, or whatever, hopefully, that Dad made. And so for me to talk about food a whole lot is a, is a dicey thing. But I want to tell you, this chapter, uh, chapter 6 in John, mentions the word bread over and over and over and over again. And it is something that we're going to have to sit and wrestle with for a little bit because it is a lot about 
bread. Now, with us, we got a little different relationship with bread these days. We have a little more sedentary lifestyle. Uh, you got your wheat that's changed a little bit and the bread that the way it is. And there's a lot of us that we stay away from bread. Uh, some of it's because maybe there's an allergy. Some of it's so that we don't gain too much weight. Uh, some of it is just out of health reasons. But you need to know that bread in the first century was considered a staple of everything that was done. It was cheap. It was accessible. Everybody could get it, even the poor. That was what was the center of every meal. And to the point where bread became synonymous with meal or eating or food. So when they said, and we still get this today, if you say to somebody, hey, come over to the house, we'll break bread, that doesn't mean all you're having is bread. What it means is that we're going to have a meal together. And even more in the first century, this was the part of what nourishes. This is what people lived off of was bread. But you need to know what's happening in this chapter is not just regular bread. That's not what we're going to be talking about. We're talking about miracle bread. Okay? All of this bread that we're going to be talking about is bread that was not made in any way by human hands. Instead, this is bread that came from heaven. This is bread that came from God. And as a matter of fact, you're going to see that there's three different times we're talking about just in this chapter that bread came that was not made by human hands that was miracle bread. It's this God bread that we received from heaven. The first time, let me tell you, the first time that it talks about this bread that came from God that was not made by human hands is really what led to this part of the story. As a matter of fact, it started out, as you saw when he read, one of the first things that he said is, as they found Jesus. Well, what has happened earlier in the chapter, if you look up there at the top of uh, chapter 6, what had happened is one of the most famous miracles that there were. It's the feeding of the 5,000. That happened just the day before this. The day before Jesus started saying, I'm the bread of life, you need to know that what happened was he had performed this miracle where he fed 5,000. This is what it looks like in John 6, verses 5 through 14. Lifting up his eyes, these are uh, after he's seen all the people come out and listen to him teaching. This is what he says. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a crowd that was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of, bre worth of bread would not be enough for each of them even to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down and about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So there's your first example that we're going to talk about of this miracle bread. Just the day before, Jesus had had all of these people that he was teaching. They're there all day. They're seated. He asked this question, kind of testing his disciples. And I love this, that he goes, hey, where are we going to find the money to feed all of these people? And like, I don't know. And I love the fact that it says he already knew what he was going to do. He's messing with his disciples in some ways. So what he did was he's trying to make a point out of this. He's trying to make a point by what he's going to do there. He performs this miracle and more than anything, what he wants to do is to say, when the need is this great, who can satisfy it? Can you do it? Do the disciples have it? Is there a way that we can scrape up money to do this? And they start realizing there is no way to satisfy the needs of all of these people. It's impossible. 
So what you have was Jesus who fills everybody with the five loaves and the two fish. Now, this has become um, pretty uh, uh, commonplace for people to talk about this. As a matter of fact, it's kind of a phrase in our society now. You can say the five loaves and two fish, and people know what you're talking about. I think we miss out a lot on that. I've always wondered, how did that work? How did that happen? I mean, did everybody just get one little piece of bread, and as they ate it, it didn't get any smaller? You know, I, I, I did a little uh, calculation one time just to try and figure out what it would take for 12 disciples to pass out bread to 5,000 men plus the women and children who had been there. And it would have taken like 25 trips each with baskets filled 40 pounds. So one of the things that it seems like would have had to have happened was that they would go hand out the bread that, that Jesus blessed and gave them to the people. And then they'd have to go back. And somehow Jesus would fill it again. And then they'd go hand it out. And then they'd have to go back. And then they'd hand it out, and then they'd have to go back. Somehow it had to have worked in some way where what you kept passing out kept getting refilled. And I love the idea. I don't know exactly how this worked, but I love the idea of what it took was it took disciples to keep going back to the source of Christ, to be able to hand out what they needed for everyone to be filled. I don't know if that's the way it worked, but I know that there was this point that was being made with Jesus there is to go, I'm the one who can satisfy everybody, and not just satisfy everybody, but I can do it in such a way that there are all of these leftovers, a whole freezer full that we'll have. And you need to know more than anything, this is because Jesus was trying to take a physical miracle, and he's trying to make a spiritual point, a sign this is one of the things that John talks about a lot is when he talks about miracles, he calls them signs and wonders. And the whole idea of Jesus performing miracles is not just so that he satisfies a physical need, but it's so that he can make a spiritual point. And that's what he's doing. Jesus is making this point so that they know, this is who I am. The interesting thing about that is the next day it says the people followed him and they're kind of going, well, hey, we're hungry again. Do it again. Go again. Yesterday you did this, and we got full, so do it again. You can tell that because that's what Jesus says. Is he said, you're coming to me not because of the signs that what I did that point to my divinity. What you're doing is you're looking to have your bellies filled again. You'd like to have the blessing that I provide in this way, the physical part that I will give you. And so they come again going, do it again, do it again, so that they can be filled once more. That's the way cravings work, especially physical cravings. That's the way that we tend to work. There's so many things in our lives that we crave, and even when they're filled, the craving just comes back within the day, maybe within the hour. Maybe there's never enough for that. But what you have here is people that are seeking the Lord for what the Lord can give them, more than just to have the Lord and who he is. They want his blessing more than they want him, and it's because they don't yet know who they're dealing with. And so Jesus takes the time to make this point. But this is the way it is with our earthly cravings. See, I, I really believe God made you to crave. He made you with this place where you're going, I'm incomplete in some way. And so he made you to crave something. But the thing is, he made you to crave him. That he is supposed to fill what may have be an emptiness inside of you or something that you wonder that may be missing or something that you need to make you whole. That's Christ. And so he made you to crave that. The problem is we get mistaken so often and we try and fill that with so many other things. It's like, have you ever gone shopping when you're really hungry at the grocery store? 
Yeah, you know that one. That's real, right? They talk about that and they say, hey, never go shopping when you're hungry because you don't buy things that are good for you. I do that. I know I've gone in before and go, okay, I got to do the shopping for the week and I know I need vegetables and I need lean meats and I need fruit. And somehow I walk out with a shopping cart full of marshmallows and root beer. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I just know that for some reason I'm in there and I go, ooh, marshmallows. That looks really good, right? And when you're hungry, everything looks good. Everything does. Even the stuff that's bad for you. You look at it and you go, well, let's grab that. That'll fill my hunger. And everything starts looking good. What we do is when we realize that the cravings that we have, we need to look deeper. And we see that basically they boil down to a couple of things. For us, they're a wonder of us wondering, am I going to have enough and am I enough? Deep within us and in our soul, that is a question that we all ask all the time, and it takes many different forms. Am I going to have enough? Am I enough? We have deeper cravings than that. It's to be fully known and fully accepted and fully loved. We want to be safe and we want to be secure. We want to be valuable. And deep down, we really want to know, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? Financially, am I going to be okay? In my relationships... Am I going to be okay? In my health, am I going to be okay? In death, am I going to be okay? And those are the spiritual cravings that are deep that only God can satisfy, but we try to fill them with physical sustenance all the time. That's why we seek relationships that are oftentimes unhealthy. That's why we work ourselves to death and become workaholics, and then we get stressed over the fact that we work ourselves so hard, and so then we begin to medicate ourselves so that we don't have the stress from the part that where we worked ourselves because we're trying to make sure we're going to be okay. And these are questions of the deep soul that only God can answer. We become addicted to things that we think will satisfy us, but our cravings and our desires are much, much deeper than we realize. And so oftentimes what we do is we look for the blessing of God more than we do the presence of God himself. And that's the thing about physical cravings, and that's the thing about physical needs that we have, is it screams more. No matter what you do that's a physical need, it screams more, more, more all the time. Even if you fill yourself with dinner and with bread today, tomorrow it will go more, right? Even if you feel like you have some love for some people around you for something that you did, you will want more. When you get enough money, you're going to want more. You want that 4OK to get bigger, and you want it to be more, and you want more security, and you want more admiration, and it just screams for more all the time, and the Lord doesn't work that way. He doesn't scream more. He whispers enough. But it's amazing how we can get stuck on those things that scream more all the time and how they work on us. Like, for instance, if you've got your phone... You know you got this, this phone now, these smartphones, right? And the idea and the way that they've been sold to you is that it's a tool. This is a tool for you to have to make your life easier, to make things better for you. And then you start realizing this is the only tool you have that screams at you for your attention, right? Bing! Whatever little sound you have, bing! Pick me up, pick me up, bing! Pick me up. Something new just came through. Can you imagine having an axe or a rake in your garage that screamed at you to come pick it up all the time? How bizarre that would be, right? What tool do you have that yells at you, that screams at you, that is constantly demanding your attention in every way like that? 
And when we look at that, we realize that it's a multi-billion dollar business to create a craving in you and then to barely satisfy it so that you're never completely filled. That's what's going on with that, right? It makes the craving, it screams at you to feed it, and then it makes sure you are never, ever full. That's what so many of our physical cravings can be. We look for the satisfaction, and we can't find it. So a couple of things happen with that is we get severely disappointed in the things that we've tried to fill ourselves with, and we look for it, and we can't find it, or we become hopeless, and then we decide we don't love anything. And then we're just as empty as when we first started. And you need to know in this miracle where Jesus provided this bread for these people the day before, this miracle bread, it was a blessing for their flesh, but it did not last. Not even Jesus' bread that he gave them that day lasted. Just like your job and your food and your relationships and your health and none of those things will ever last. They don't. That's why he says, you came because you wanted to fill your stomachs again. Not so that you could see who I actually am. You want to be filled with the flesh instead of the divine, which is the point he's trying to make. Then there's a second time that it talks about miracle bread. So the first time was when Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he fed everybody. That was bread that came in a miraculous form. But then there's a second time where he starts talking about miracle bread. And this is what they bring up. They start bringing up the idea of going, hey, we know about miracle bread. Our people had manna. And if you know the story about manna, you know that as Jesus, as, as the Lord's people came out of Egypt and wandered in the wilderness, the Lord provided something that was like bread, and it was called manna. And so they bring this up, and they go, we have gotten bread before from the hand of God. And this is what they're talking about in Exodus 16, verses 4 through 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day, and they're going to gather enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them and see if they'll follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? So what happens is you have these religious people that have been fed by Jesus, and then Jesus goes, you need to know that what I fed you yesterday is not what we're talking about. I'm actually the bread of life. And they go, okay, we know about miracle bread. We know about manna. We've had bread before, our people, that God had miracled up for us. It fell from the sky. We used to gather it up. We know about miracle bread. We know what this is. We've been filled by God before. We had manna that came from Moses what do you have that's more than that? Because you need to know, you fed us yesterday, but when Moses did it, it was every day. So we got filled every single day. And what they forget is that every single day their hunger came back. And every single day it had to be filled again. This is where later in the chapter, in John 6, if you want to kind of mark these, we're going to be going through the whole chapter. John 6, 48 through 51, this is what Jesus says when they start talking about going, so you're like Moses, you're like Moses, it's like the manna. He said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
is Jesus going, I'm not like Moses. You need to know that. You need to know what you're talking about there is you got manna that's spoiled. If you kept it more than a day, it's spoiled. You have your ancestors that ate this. They died. You know about Moses? He died. That's not me. That's not what I'm talking about. Manna won't keep. It's not eternal. What I'm giving you is something that is more than just a temporary fix to a temporary problem. That's what manna was. It was a daily fix for your daily problem of your appetite. And here's the thing you need to know is not only will all of this bread eventually disappear and go away, but so will these appetites. Your hunger for bread will eventually go away. It will pass away. Your appetite for bread will pass away. Bread itself will pass away. Don't work for temporary solutions to a problem that is eternal. They're saying, well, you're like Moses. And he goes, oh, I'm so much more than that. I am the bread. Moses gave you bread. I am the bread. That's when he's talking about this third time that you have miracle bread. So first we have the day before when he took the five loaves and the two fish and there's bread from heaven that came for the group. And then they're talking about the manna that came where it was literally bread that fell from the sky that was miracle bread from God. And now he's saying, this is it. It's me the third time. I'm the bread. It's a whole different thing. I'm the bread that will give eternal life. That's why I give you physical bread so that you would understand the purpose of what I'm giving you spiritually. And they're immediately going back to a physical argument. Great. How do I get this bread? If this is bread that makes it to where I'm not hungry all the time, that's the bread I want. What do I got to do to get it? What do I have to do? What's the cost of it? What button do I have to push in the vending machine for you to spit out this bread that I can have that will satisfy my physical longings? How do we trade for it? What do we have to do to make you happy so that you'll give it to us? If you have better bread, we want it. That's what I love about verses 27 through 29. He said, don't work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus says, This is the work of God. You believe in him who he has sent. So their question becomes, What do I have to do physically for you to give me this physical satisfaction? And he's going, You can't do anything. I'm going to give it to you. This is something that I've got to give. And there's a few things that you need to know about that when it comes to the bread of life that Jesus is going to give. Number one, it's not a side dish. We think of bread a lot, and I know I do, as kind of the side dish. It's the filler, right? So if you were to bring me out a steak and some potatoes and uh, maybe some asparagus on the side or something like that, and there's some bread, I'm going to eat the steak and the other stuff first, and if I'm not full, I'm going to fill up with bread. That's the stuffing in the sides to make sure that I get enough, right? And, and back in the old days when I was a real exceptional eater, like back in college, like when I was an artist at eating, I mean when I was good at it, <laughs> and I was gifted. There were some places that you were, would go, if you've been familiar with this, that are all you can eat. Like have any of y'all ever heard of Fogo de Chao? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I heard some people, some, some groans down here. So there were some groans of some people who know this place. Fogo de Chao is a Brazilian steakhouse. And what they do is they walk around with like eight different types of meat and steak on a spit. And they come by your table and they just cut some off. And then they ask, would you like some more filet? Would you like some more ribeye? 
Would you like some more? And they just keep cutting it and keep putting it on your plate. Well, when you're serious about it and you really know what you're doing, I remember me and my friends would go, you don't fill up on bread. See, they're going to come out with the bread first. They come out and they bring you a big basket of bread. And you're like, I'm not eating the bread. Don't eat the bread. I remember telling them, don't eat the bread. Whatever you do, don't eat the bread. (laughs) Because what it's going to do is it's going to start taking up space that you want for steak. Right? And you don't want to do that because I don't want to be wasting space that I could use on filet with bread. That's not what this is. That's one of the points that Jesus makes with this is you need to know this bread is the bread that gives you life. And it's not a side dish. You don't sprinkle this around on everything else in your life. You don't have all these other desires that you think will satisfy you and will fill you. You don't have your work life and then you have your play life and your hobby life and your home life. And then on occasion, I come up to church and I sprinkle a little Jesus on the side of it to make sure that my life's full. That's not the way that this works. Jesus doesn't do that. He's making the point to make sure that you understand this is not a side dish. This is the main course. This is everything. What I do and what I'm giving you is everything that you need. Chapter 6, verses 52 to 56, this is what he says. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And then up in in verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, You want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is Jesus going, this is not a side dish. If you're not going to be filled with me, you got no place in me. And I remember looking at this and so many times thinking what a hard teaching this was. Because you need to understand, we look at this and we go, oh, he's talking about communion. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. That has not been instituted. This is before the Last Supper. This is before the idea of what followers do is get together every week and remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ through the breaking of bread and the taking of the cup. That hasn't happened yet. You have Jesus saying, look, here's the deal. Unless you feed on me regularly, unless I'm the source of all your nourishment in any way for your soul, mind, strength, in every single way, you can't be with me. It's me. I'm the one, and I won't share you. And I'm not a side dish, and I'm not something that you just sprinkle on your life to make sure that it's okay. I need to be what regularly sustains you in every way. And it's funny because a lot of times we believe that he fed those 5,000 people with those loaves and fishes, but still we stress over whether or not we're going to have enough, right? We don't know whether or not the Lord will actually bless us and we're going to be okay, and we spend our time worrying about that constantly. And he's saying it's not just the physical needs that you need, but it's actually the deep spiritual needs needs. So if you have something and you think to yourself, you know, if I had this, everything would be right and I'd be okay. If I just had this, if I could just acquire this and it could be a relationship, it can be a job, it can be money, it can be the admiration of somebody, no matter what it is. If you have a love outside of Christ, he's saying that's not going to work. 
I'm the only thing that fills you. I'm not a side dish. And the answer of believe in me, what do you need to do? Well, you need to believe in me. You need, you know, need to know it's not just a mental understanding, but it's not just to believe that I exist. There's a difference between believing in God and believing God. And it's the same thing with Christ. There's a difference between you believing that Jesus existed and you believing that he can actually satisfy you in every way. Those are two different things. One of them requires a lot of trust. It's not just that you believe I exist, Jesus says, but you need to believe in what I'm doing and what I say about you, that I am what you seek, that I'm what you crave and I'm what you need and I'm what you desire. And then here's the second thing as we wrap up. You need to understand that if you're going to take this bread that is the living bread of Christ, that it's about receiving. You don't take it, it's given. We receive it. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things I'd like to kind of change in, in my vocabulary. When we talk about the Lord's Supper and communion, is this, we take the bread. You don't take it, you receive it. It's given to you freely. And it's something that we receive from Christ. It's not something that we take. Because the interesting thing about that is it's a great reminder that he did both sides of the covenant. Like there's this desire from God where he says, well, here's what I want to be. I want to be this righteous, forgiving, merciful God, and I want you to be my faithful people. And here's the deal. Since we can't be the faithful people, I'll take care of that too. So I'll make you faithful, and I'll be the merciful God. That's why Paul talks so much of going, I want a righteousness that's not my own. I want to be found with the righteousness that's Christ. It's not mine. It's been given to me. This covenant that we have together, he provides both sides. He's the loving, graceful God. I'm the righteous son, but it's not my own righteousness. It's been given to me. Something that I received. Something that has been handed to me. And now I have that. This bread of life, you didn't plant it. You didn't harvest it. You didn't cut the grain, you didn't bake it, you didn't make it. It's only something that you can receive from the goodness of our Savior. It's eternal food that the Son will give you, and we receive it. Amen. We get to receive it. And it's interesting because there's this dichotomy that we have and this great uh, stress that we have where we want to continue in hunger and thirst for Christ while realizing at the same time He fills us every single day. Because here's the deal. You can have all the Jesus you want. All of it. Every day, all the time. Amen. You can have all the Christ you want. What we want is to want it all. Every bit of grace. Every bit of mercy. Every bit of forgiveness. Every bit of loving. Every bit of belonging. All of it. That's what I want to be filled with. That's what we want to be filled with as followers of Christ. Amen. So, we're going to go to the table and have communion. But I want to tell you, when I started talking about this and thinking about this, and the idea of being filled with Christ and having this be something that is complete in every way for us, I had a hard time thinking about our little cracker that we get in the communion. I got to thinking that, man, it would be great if we had something a little more substantial, if we had something a little bigger, if we had something that's a little more heavy, if we had something that maybe reminded us more of the beauty of Christ and what he's done for us. So what we're going to do is I had some, some wonderful people who made some unleavened bread for us. We're going to hand that out here in just a minute. We're going to give you that. And what I'd like for you to do today, if you're willing, is to take a big old bite of bread.
Not just the little chip that comes in the thing. I want you to have real bread, and I want you to take a big old bite of it. I want it to remind us that what we're doing here is supposed to fill us in every, in every way. That what Christ has given us is enough. That this is what sustains us in every single way. Isn't it amazing that this physical act is what's supposed to remind us of the spiritual truth? You have Jesus who goes, I provided bread for 5,000, a physical act to remind you of a spiritual truth that I am the spiritual bread that will satisfy you. Now what I want you to do is take a little bit of bread and a physical act to remember what I've done for you in a spiritual truth. Amen. That's what we do every week when we gather together and we take this. We remember that this is what feeds us daily, that this is what makes us whole. This is that spiritual truth. It's so neat to me because that physical part means something, right? We fast so that it teaches us that we hunger for God, and we take communion so that it reminds us that we're filled by him. Amen. Isn't that neat that that's the way you put it together? So i tell you what we're going to do. I've got some folks that I've asked to hand out this bread, and they've got uh, little baggies, and there's pieces of unleavened bread in there. And what I'd like for you to do is uh, to get uh, at least one baggie per two people in your family. If there's four of you, you need two of them. If there's six of you, you need three of them. I'd like for you to, if you're, if you're by yourself and you'd like to get with someone near you to have somebody to share with, please do that. But we want to give you a substantial piece of bread today. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a song, and then they're going to walk around, and they're going to hand this out. So you just tell them how many pieces you need. We're going to take our time, and we're going to hand this out. If you do have a gluten allergy and you would like gluten, we have gluten-free bread. Jesus provides it all. Right? So you can ask for gluten-free bread. Take plenty. Take it with you. But hang on to it for now until after this song, and then we'll bless it together. So if we can, let's pray while you receive this bread. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the bread that we're receiving, and we receive it, Lord, as an act of faith and understanding the great grace and great cost that comes around it. So, Lord, let us remember as we receive this and say in our hearts and in our minds, the bread of heaven, the bread of life, our Savior, and what great cost this was for us to get this. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.